I think to me, those fundamentals are trust in the other person and the ability to disagree. Because whether the company does amazingly well or doesn't, the kind of only guarantee is that it's going to be an interesting and unstable process when building. And you're going to have disagreements and that's natural and that should be encouraged. Hello and welcome. I'm Kate and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers. We're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Welcome to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with founders of Eton, Adil Budadi and Harry Cheslaw. Welcome both. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kate. So we start out every podcast having our guests just take us quickly through their careers to date. So Harry, do you want to kick us off? So definitely was not the career I initially envisioned to kind of much my parents' dismay. But originally the idea was always to go work in finance. I went to LSE. I did an accounting and finance degree. So the world's probably most boring degree you can ever think of. But I had a really deep passion for classic men's tailoring. So I got a letter and I walked up and down Savile Row in London, kind of famed men's tailoring street. And this letter simply said, I will work whatever hours you want to give me for free, doing whatever job. I just really want to be involved in this world. And luckily enough, one of the houses was able to take me on. And so my weekends when I wasn't studying accounting and statistics, I would go get buttons, get coffee, and really help the bespoke tailors out in any way I could. After leaving LSE prematurely, I ended up working for this tailor full-time. And they offered me the opportunity to go and work in New York and represent them at one of the world's oldest department stores, Bergdorf Goodman. So as 19, I was kind of flown over the world and was stuck in this esteemed department store selling very, very expensive men's tailoring. And just fell in love with retail in general. Kept meaning to go back to university, but then applied for the Alexander McQueen grad scheme in London at the kind of large, large luxury fashion house. So joined that grad scheme initially as an analyst. And then over the course of five years, ended up with doing six different jobs, all of them pretty much made up jobs from analyst to data scientist to decision engineer. And that's really where I met Adil. And the journey really begun. Adil, want to take us through your career, please? It's very similar to, to Harry in a way as well. I always wanted to, let's say like, you know, go to finance, like when I was pursuing my degree. And, uh, and one day, I think it was like my first year of, of master degree, like when my brother like asked me about what I wanted to do in life. And, and I told him like, you know, I just wanted to be happy. Right. And he had like the kind of like wise words of telling me like, Hey, if you, find something you love and you make it your job, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a job anymore, right? At that time, I was 21. I was a sneakers collector and I was like, you know, a huge, let's say, fashion fan, even though like I couldn't afford anything. And at that time, I'm born and raised in Paris. But at that time in Paris, you had two houses, Celine and Givenchy, they were at the forefront of, of the industry at that time. And I literally like, you know, I didn't know anyone, had no connection inside the industry and just like decided like to go on the LVMH website and just refresh their career page every day up until like they got a internship proposal like for Givenchy. So I just applied, didn't know what the job was going to be about. And, and it ended up like, you know, working for 
the CEO of the company. So that was kind of like something coming from, from the sky, like, right, like helping me and said like, hey, the door is right now open for you. And I, and I started my, my career there. That was my first internship. Had the chance to work after that, like in New York, and then decided to move in, uh, in London back in 2013 and work for my ex-CEO. Kind of like started like a first, let's say, entrepreneurial venture with her, but went back to her corporate life. Was not my actually my choice, so went to Alexander McQueen, and a year later, like this is where I met Harry actually, and we started history from there. So you both came from a corporate setting. What was the biggest shock when you decided to leave your full time jobs and start your own business? So I think the biggest shock to me was the amount of freedom in that kind of corporate job. You've got a fixed set of KPIs, you've got a fixed structure, and you're really given the blueprint to do your job. When when we initially started Autone, of course, we had a general vision and we had a North Star as a company, but had to really work out how to get there. So then you're stuck with a completely empty calendar with all the possibilities in the world. And you really have to craft what is the best road forward. I completely agree with you. I think when you when you start to go freelance and you have your control of your own schedule and you don't have those types of measurements to go off of, of or those standards that, you know, your company held you to, it's really challenging. And I think that's one thing that we as freelancers or people that are starting their own businesses really struggle with. Adil, how about you? What was your biggest shock? Yeah, I'll join Harry on that. I think literally it's freedom, right? It will work because of the amount of like effort and work that you put into it. But at the same time, you're like, okay, the reason why I was also like sick of, you know, the corporate life is that kind of like disrespect of your, your personal life in a way. And how we can prove ourselves first, not without like proving the others as well, but proving ourselves first that we can achieve amazing things while like working well and also like enjoying like, you know, our, our lives. Right. And this is like, you know, the difference with, and I think is the problem with today's like uh, society. It's not about like, you know, how much you're going to work hard and you go like, you know, you work from nine, nine in the morning until like 2 a.m. every day. Monday to Friday or, or even Monday to Sunday. It's literally like how well you can work, right? How productive you could be like by working six hours a day. And that's, and that's okay. You know, it's funny because the three of us grew up in that fashion world where free internships existed and boundaries weren't really present. No one set boundaries and the answer was always yes. And to do more and to prove yourself a deal to your point. And now I think that was one of the hardest things that I learned when I went freelance and also was starting my own company right now is that you have to set those boundaries with yourself in order to live your everyday life. And I think that that's one of the hardest things that a lot of people tend to experience when they go off on their own or starting their own business is really setting their own boundaries because we never set them in that corporate life. I always kind of think about the uh, kind of that famous Shawshank Redemption quote around uh, walls when Morgan Freeman says, you know, First you hate them, then you get used to them, then enough time passes and you depend on them regarding kind of your, the initial life kind of in the corporate world, right? When, when these walls are suddenly taken away from you as you go freelance or found your own company, it's a very, very different feeling. You both met at Alexander McQueen. Your journeys brought you there. So starting a business as co-founders is like a marriage. How did you decide that you were the right fit for each other to start a tone? <laughs> With complete like transparency, like... For me, like, you know, if I had to start, and I said this to Harry, it was like, you know, I would start the company, our company with Harry and no one else. Not, not even, it was not even logical. It was like something that I, that I had like, you know, deep in my, in my heart. And I was 
because like, you know, we, we worked together for almost five years and that was like more than like, you know, being colleagues. It was like, you know, the friendship that we developed, the fact that we were honest to each other, that we can scream at each other, like, you know, on bad days that we could go to a concert the next day. I, I truly think that if Harry would have told me no, I would have gone back to the corporate life and press pause and say like, okay, well, I'll wait a bit and then, then take the chance again in six months. <laughs> No, I think, I mean, I completely agree with everything Adil said. I think kind of because it's like a marriage, you can go into a marriage in different ways, right? You can go into a marriage with the idea of my marriage is going to be a Disney marriage. Never going to go wrong. We're not going to fight, uh, which of course is a very naive view of marriage. When really, if you are going to marriage, right, it's about having those core fundamentals. I think to me, those fundamentals are trust in the other person and the ability to disagree because whether the company does amazingly well or doesn't, the kind of only guarantee is that it's going to be an interesting and unstable process when building. And you're going to have disagreements and that's natural and that should be encouraged. So you really need to have somebody that you can swear at and scream at and then the next day get back to work. It sounds like a perfect marriage over there. <laughs> it makes us sound like crazy guys. I mean, I mean it's, it's literally that. It's the amount of balance as well, I think, that makes us great, let's say, duo as like, you know, when we started the company, we are two different people, but we have this core that like, you know, makes us like, you know, this core, let's say, how can I say foundation that no matter what, like, you know, disagreement we could have, we will always come like to, you know, to, to an agreement at a certain point. We see things in a different way, but we see, we see them in the same, the same way as well at the same time. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. I think with any co-founder relationship in a business aspect, you do have to have that core foundation and you have to align in your values and, and how you want to grow the business. It must be nice though, too, when one of you is having a bad day that like, you know, you have somebody who you can rely on to kind of pull through for you and pull the company through that like really hard time that one of you might be experiencing. Like I'm a solo founder right now and I had some like tough shit happening in my personal life. And this was the one time that I was like, oh my God, I wish I had a co-founder to just kind of like continue the work and know that like the the business was still moving along, especially in these early days. Like when you're one week behind, like it's horrible. And I think people kind of forget about that, right? They think that because you're my co-founder, you are my partner in my business life, which of course applies to very, very large companies. But really when you're spending... 10, 12 hours a day with somebody, right? You're basically a partner to them, both in the, you know, their business life and their career, but also in their personal life. Briefly, can you guys just quickly tell us what a tone is so that the listeners know what type of business you guys are doing? It sounds like the YC demo day all over again. Time to pitch. Yeah, exactly. Get a, de get a deck out. <laughs> get a deck out. No, I mean, to, to make it very simple, we're a SaaS platform that optimizes inventory management for, for brands, retail and consumer brands. So like to give you an example of like kind of the stuff that we do, if you look at like at a retail brand today, it could take up six months now that supply chain is a bit like, you know, impacted at the time we speak between the moment they place an order and they receive the inventory from, from the manufacturers. So we tell, we tell our customers exactly when to place an order. So they never run out of stock, but at the same time, they never hold excessive inventory. So this is kind of like one of the stuff that, that, that we do. Okay, so earlier this year, you guys closed your first raise for the business. And as we know, starting a business, you can have its highs and its lows. What was your biggest high and low during raise? 
Raising is a very, very funny beast in itself. We really went into this as complete amateurs and really had to, to learn very, very quickly how it's done. I think kind of the high, of course, is probably the same as everyone else, right? It's really feeling that you found the right partners to continue this journey with you because it extends far beyond simply capital. Um, it's really finding people and attaching them to the team and working with people for the next decade. And I think the low we're learning, repeat and repeated again, is that startups die from suicide far before homicide. We are competing to make the best company we possibly can with ourselves. So when you're then raising and you go on TechCrunch and you see every day, this company's raised 10 mil, this company's raised 50 mil, this company's raised 5 mil, you end up in this mindset of comparing yourself versus other people, which can quickly, quickly distract you versus purely focusing on making your company as good as possible. If we can start with the, I think the low, you're building your company, you're putting a like, huge amount of time, like, you know, like of work, of love, of passion into it. And then literally like, you know, you're suddenly like, you know, pitching it to people that don't know you, uh, that literally have no clue about like, let's say like, you know, what you're going through. And in 15, 30 minutes max, they tell you yes or no, if they want to invest in your company. We'd be lying if we were telling you like, hey, that everybody loved what we were building. We had some no's at the very beginning. But then you start to kind of like realize and understand that this is a great exercise to practice, to pitch better, like articulate your ideas better and everything up until like, you know, like you start to have people like telling you yes. So we were lucky enough as well to be in a position where we we could choose like, you know, who we would like to partner with because that's, it's another type of marriage, but like, you know, going with, uh, with, with a VC, it's, uh, it's a long, long term, like relationship thing. We've been like, you know, in this position of, of saying, Hey, we, we are, we're not looking for money. We're looking for smart money. So if people understand what we're building, understand our vision, don't want to dilute it, we're good to go. Right. I know when you guys were going through your raise, there were so many roller coasters of like, you get so much feedback and do you change this? And do you, you know, who do you really listen to? Who do you not? And I think, I think at that point, it's to what you both are saying, you know, finding that right match of people that believe in what you're doing and want to help grow it. And like, of course you have to take the feedback. Of course that is part of life. That's part of running a business, you know, at the same time, those people that believe in a tone will want to be part of that, will want to explain why they're giving you that type of feedback and want to support you, not from just a money perspective, but also just to, from like a partnership and also a business perspective as well. I'm going through my first pre-seed in two weeks. And so you'll be getting phone calls from me, definitely. It is like an amazing thing to go through, a really beneficial thing to go through in terms of kind of learning how you craft your, your story arc. Because having that really succinct pitch is something that, of course, you'll use in the raise, but then you'll continue to raise, you'll continue to use going forward, right? As new joiners join your company, you're starting to pitch customers. So it's a really amazing exercise. I think it's also something that a lot of people don't really discuss. I mean, even just from the start of like forming the company and the incorporation and speaking to your lawyers to get all the paperwork and understanding the shares and 
it's like a whole different world that I'm, I don't come from a finance background. Like this is a whole new world that I'm learning. That's why I love starting my own business. And that's why I loved going freelance, honestly, is because of how much I've learned throughout the last seven years. And now starting a company, it's like, it's a whole nother level of education that I never thought I would ever actually receive. So you're already one year into your business. You've closed your first seed. You were accepted in the Y Combinator, the most prestigious technology startup accelerator in the world. Both huge achievements. Can you tell us what the journey has been like thus far? The journey, it was like what, like a six month journey, but it seems like it was literally like six days. And to be honest, like we didn't even have one second to take a step back and celebrate. And and, and I think that is also what like, you know, defines us in a way like, you know, we always like push the boundaries every time, like, you know, like an, an inch higher, like for us to think like, you know, believe that we would have like a pre-seat round back in May with two of the top like, European VCs. Like, you know, if you would have told us the story when we started a year ago, would have told you like, hey, this, no, no, get out, get out of this. So we had that and literally like the same time we were pitching VCs, like Harry was like, oh, we should do our application for, for Y Combinator. And I was like, okay, but I don't think like we have a single chance that would highly advise everybody to do the YC application because the type of questions that they ask you when you do your, your application are kind of like exactly what investors are, are asking you to do, to, to are asking you. So we did that. Then we actually, like, I think it was literally two days after we close our pre-seat round, we had the YC interview at 10 p.m. I always remember that, 10 p.m. like uh, Italian time. The YC interview is kind of like a funny thing. Like you have, I think, six partners, Zoom call, 15 minutes, and they ask you like 10 questions and they don't show any emotions. They don't even tell you if, if they like it or not. They just like, thank you guys, we'll reach out. And the next day, Harry called me in the morning. I think it was seven in the morning. He was like, hey, check your mailbox. And we got that this email from YC. Congratulations, you're part of the summer 22 batch. I was like, get the fuck out. And yeah, and it was insane. I cried. I don't even know why I cried. And it felt like really, really good. So yeah, so then like, you know, we decided like, you know, to join the adventure, be part of like amazing startups from all around the world, not only Silicon Valley, for all around the world, amazing like folks building great stuff to optimize like our today's world, but also like, you know, thinking about like how we can make the future better and being able to be part of that, of that crowd was for us like invaluable, right? And this is like, you know, if we had to do it again, we'll do it like a thousand times. That's without, without any hesitation. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy journey. We just finished YC a week ago and now it's just like, yeah, back at it. And it's just fully focused on, on what we are building. For me, the, this year, has really been about building up your resilience muscles, right? And getting really used to working in the madness, right? Can you have 10, 20 failures in one day and keep going? Can you have a 20 page to-do list and just remember to stay calm and start at the top, right? It's an amazing how your approach to these things can change only in a year versus from coming from your corporate life where one thing goes wrong and you think the world's going to end. Right. Where now you could be on the phone with a lawyer with a problem, a legal problem at 10 a.m., a financial problem at 12, then a tech infrastructure problem at four. And you really have to remain positive and, and laugh and smile and, and keep moving forward. Harry, I can't agree with you more that at this time in the business, something that is like a 20 
item to-do list that you would never have in that corporate life. And it's just like knowing that you can get through it and knowing that everything has to get done no matter what, like it will get done. It may seem impossible at the moment, but like that is something that you have to experience. You find out so much about yourself and you see how resilient you are. It gives you that confidence to be able to make those decisions. I don't think I've ever been so trusting in myself when I'm making decisions now for my company. And like to your point, I think you have to also learn right how to forgive yourself, right? Because mistakes are going to happen and that's normal, especially when you're doing a startup. On one side, of course, half your brain has to be pushing yourself to work harder and achieve more. But the other half has to really be telling you, hey, it's okay. You do what you can do and you roll the punches. One thing we discuss all the time in our freelance founders community is scaling your business. And you have been growing your team. What has been the biggest challenge when you've been growing? Finding talent is, I think, like the hardest job that a founder like uh, could, could face, like, you know, when start a company. There are two things, right? The first step is, is literally to be honest with, with yourself, be honest with your, with your co-founder and say like, hey, we can't do everything on our own. And accept the fact that we'll have to get people that will take over, like, you know, like what we have, what we have started to build and, and make it better. Right. So that's the first thing. Then we get to that point and you're happy. And you're just like, okay, let's get people on board. I think that we, that we had to put and kind of like, you know, like cherry picking literally like the, the six people that, that joined us so far and trying to make sure that we didn't, we didn't look for like the best in terms of like, let's say like uh, hard skills, but like the best in terms of like combination between their hard skills and their soft skills. It has to be a fit. It's not about like, you know, hiring like the best, let's say front end engineer or hiring like the best customer success manager. It's literally like hiring the best person that would fit for the company. And that's like a completely different ballgame. Yeah, I think I kind of really second what, what Adil says on this point. Right? Of course, as everyone would agree, hiring the right people is really, really difficult because you're not just box ticking in terms of skills, because these people are not going to be one person army of a thousand. You're really trying to find people that you can be happy to work with every day and who really embody the values of, of your company. Because I think one of the most rewarding and most amazing things about scaling a company is you can really use it as kind of extension of yourself to promote the values you believe in into the world. We want to promote honesty. We want to promote optimism. And we have the opportunity to go and find that core team of people now who we can then use, amplify this core message far beyond inventory management and retail operations. It definitely takes a specific type of person and like they have to match your values of what, how you guys are wanting to grow that company as well. So very exciting. What's next for Atone? What's next for Atone? Now it's time for us to kind of like take over, like, you know, as much as possible, like the, the retail industry. And, and this is where also like we are extremely confident in terms of what we have been building so far, how we will like not only like, you know, like help companies, but also empower our end users. When we built Oton, when we when designing the product for us, it was literally about empowering, like, you know, that 25 year old person that is working eight hours a day straight on an Excel spreadsheet and being streamed out by her, his boss whenever they make a tiny mistake and never have like, thank you, whenever they do a great job. What's next is also just really scaling up the company to be one of the world's happiest and most content type groupings of people, right? How we can make a company that people really love and adore and can make them super, super happy to go to work every day. 
Well, I, I'm really excited to see what you guys have in the future. I'm so excited for you guys to grow and continue this journey. So a few questions we have left. The first one is, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Harry, why don't you kick us off? I think advice would be, if you are surrounded by really, really smart people, you're in the right place. And just to use that as your North Star. So whether it's doing a job you thought you would never do, right, or doing something that wasn't maybe in your life plan. If you look to your left, you look to your right, and there are people who are super, super smart and you really, really respect, you're in the right place. That's a good one. Adele? Just be yourself. Just go. Do, do things that you love. If you want to be a musician, if you want to be a dancer, if you want to be a florist, because you love it, just go for it. So I think we, we don't, like, we, we live in a society that doesn't, like, kind of, like, empower that, right? And you have to be, like, you know, put in, like, in different boxes. Like, you know, if you are a trader, it's great. If you are a doctor, it's great. If you're a lawyer, it's great. But if you're a plumber, it's not. And this is where, like, you know, like, I, I would definitely, like, you know, tell my 20-year-old self is just dream big. Like, go for it. Just just be happy and, and pursue your dreams. What are some boundaries you have set for yourself to maintain a healthy work-life balance? I think kind of having the work-life balance boundaries is something that I definitely struggle with, especially considering when you've got your own company and the work is so interesting. I think what's been a real kind of boundary maker for me has been growing the team and really having to suddenly stop and think about the culture that you're setting within the team, right? So sure, I can carry on working until midnight, but what does that really say to the widen team in terms of what company culture we want to bring forward? Because the second you start sending that Slack at nine or that email at midnight, where you can end up with that very, very slippery slope, which then ends up with a horrendous rotten culture that blows up in nine or 12 months. So I think the key boundary for me now has been always thinking, how does this impact and what message am I sending to the wider team? We put boundaries like to, to ourselves, even though they're little in terms of like, you know, making sure that, yeah, I mean, weekend is, is, is our weekend, right? And there's like no work involved in that. Same for like, you know, no work at night. We do it first for, for our people that joined us, to be honest, but also like, because we, we didn't want to be treated that way, like back, back where we were in our, in our corporate life. And I think it's just like, also like it's listening to your mind and listening to your body. And just like, you know, sometimes you, sometimes it could be like, you know, 5 PM and you're just like, you're not productive anymore because you're tired because of so many different reasons and that's okay. So there's no need for you to kind of like, you know, continue and push yourself. Like, because at the end of the day, the, the result will be like poor anyway. So just like, you know, take a break and, and that's it. Like call it a day and tomorrow will be better. Yeah. I think setting boundaries is one of the hardest thing I personally have had to figure out for myself going freelance and now starting a business it's a work in progress. It really, it really is. A lot of people don't end up going out on their own because of financial reasons. How did you approach your financial strategy when you decided to start your own company? We didn't have any strategies, to be honest. We just like say like, hey, let's go for it. <laughs> and that I think it's, it's, I think it's, it's really funny. I mean, I said to Harry, I was like, hey man, we have literally nothing to lose, right? Worst comes to worst. We can always like bounce back and, and go back to, to our old lives. And this is where I think people do not do it. It's not about financial reasons, right? It's, it's more like, you know, fear is, is a big thing. I think it's all about that. Of course, like, you know, if, if you're like, hey, 
I, I have like, you know, enough money in my bank account to survive for two weeks, then yes, that's, that's for sure. Like, you know, a problem. When I moved to Milan and was starting to work on, on the idea of Otone, I was living at my, at my girlfriend's mother, right? So just like, you know, and this is how also you kind of put yourself in a situation that is like, that's okay. I don't, it's, it's okay. Like to go through like these, these moments because like, it will be like the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think some people kind of like do not want to take the risk also to impact like, you know, the quality of life that they have right now. And yeah, I mean, if, if, you know, I can, I will go back in time and do it all over again and say like, Hey, I didn't like, you know, I missed like a couple of restaurants or a couple of drinks with friends or a couple of like travels. Yeah. I, I think people forget how kind the world can be, right? If you do have an idea that you want to pursue, uh, you then came okay, to start up on the side, see if I can gain some traction, but I'm going to need X amount of money to get this working. You'd be amazed, I think, if you were to reach out to people, how supportive they would be in terms of, okay, you can't pay me now, but have a free trial for three months. Okay, you want to test this out? Here's X amount of credit on my platform. And then you can really gain that initial traction before deciding whether it's something you want to, to do full time. But you really have to not be too scared to reach out and ask. I agree so much on both of those. I feel like when you first start going freelance or you start your own company, it's just kind of like making that leap. And a lot of people say the standard advice before you go freelance is have six months saved before you like make the leap so that if you don't get work and you can also allows you to say no to projects that you don't necessarily want to work on. And you're not just saying yes to get a paycheck, but similarly to you both, I just made the leap because I was like, if I'm going to do it, now's the time and nothing's permanent. I told myself the same thing, like, okay, if this freelance world doesn't work out or this company doesn't work out, it's going to suck and it's going to be really frustrating. But at the same time, there's full-time opportunities everywhere. So 100%. All the back of my mind was a fallback of, I can always stack shelves, work in a coffee shop, right? Like if this fails, I'm humble enough that while my friends are making insane careers at banks and law firms, I'll eat it and I'll work in a coffee shop for six months and then you'll try again. But it's just being humble enough to, to remove yourself from, let's say, that cushy, maybe more privileged life that you got in your corporate career. And like Adil said, have less takeaway coffees, maybe don't take so many Ubers, but you're doing it for a larger purpose. Yeah, I fully agree with you on that. And also everything happens for a reason. Like I'm a big believer in that. So like if something didn't work out, it wasn't meant to, and the next thing will come along. Then my last final question, what is one piece of advice you have for anyone who's starting their own company? Have a purpose. What's the purpose of, of the adventure that you're about to, 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 to start? Like most people like, you know, start like, you know, companies because it's a trendy thing, especially like on a tech scene, like, you know, everyone wants to start a startup and, and just look at it because they're like, Hey, look at these people. Like, you know, like that's the easiest way to get rich. You know, when you look at it from the outside, I'm just going to start like a tech startup. And, and most of them actually failed because at the end of the day, founders are, are stuck in this kind of like, you know, maze of just like, Hey, but actually, why am I doing this? Right. It's like what I'm doing actually has no impact whatsoever in, in the world. So I think like, yeah, the, the first thing is literally like, you know, find the purpose. Are you actually like the right person to do that? Right. Not in terms of skills, but like in terms of like, do you actually understand what you are going to do? I think from my side, just get used to kind of embracing the idea of so what. 
I'm going to ask my accountant a question that's made me look like an idiot. So what, right? I'm going to go pitch 20 customers and get rejected from all of them. So what? It's a preach. It's a, it's a preach, man. Like, go ahead. Man. I literally just came up with that. I'm going to get so some t-shirts what? made. Fucking hell. It's a preach. You know, and I'm going to fail and end up stacking shelves in Asda for a year. Kind of so what, right? And just, just take the plunge and do it. Awesome. Those are both great pieces of advice. Thank you so much, Harry and Adele, for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to my chat with Adil Budati and Harry Cheslaw. You can find out more about Atone by visiting their website, atone.io. Be sure to check out our website, freelancefounders.com, and follow us on Instagram at freelancefounders. We hope you'll share, subscribe, rate, and review the Freelance Founders podcast, which is available for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you and have a great day.